This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Charlie Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. The Park Hill Golf Course saga continues. City Council is voting on the future of those valuable 155 acres of open space tonight. And if they approve the developer's plan, we'll all be voting on it in April. So my producer Paul Caroli and I are going to talk through how we got here and why it matters. Today is Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Hi, Paul. Good morning, Bree. So we are talking about the never-ending saga that is the Park Hill Golf Course. I, I feel I don't feel you're excited about this, but I think this is just one of those topics that we keep talking about because it's a it's interesting, but b it's it's really going to be a determining factor in what one part of the city might look like in the next ten years. Yes, and the end is in sight, and that's kind of where we're at in the story. And for me, yeah, I mean, I do get excited about it. I think this story is so interesting because it captures this core tension that I think everyone in Denver feels right now over housing and the price of housing. You know, the last 10 years, this city has exploded. We've got so many more people. And with that has come higher housing prices, higher rents. So in this one issue, as we're going to talk about, we have all that whole fight encapsulated on both sides. And specifically, I mean, if people aren't familiar with the Park Hill Golf Course, it's 155 acres of open land in the heart of Denver. It's about half the size of City Park. And so for one side of this fight, it's this, it's this beloved open space that's been a part of their community in Park Hill for 100 years. And for the other side, it's a huge opportunity to build a brand new, dense, walkable community just a few minutes from downtown. That's the kind of thing that doesn't come along very often. But, and we will get into this, it's not as simple as that, I think. Because on its face, this is what I thought, too, is, oh, cool, yeah, of course we want to develop a golf course in the middle of a city. Like, that's, it seems archaic that we have these anymore. But I know that it's just, it's just not that simple, and it's just not as easy as, well, someone could just develop it and build a bunch of housing. So that's why... I mean, we're going to get, let's, you know what, let's just get into it and explain it for folks so they can understand. Because what's really unique about this particular topic is we've talked to a lot of people on both sides of it. And I'm really happy that we can share this conversation, but also pepper it with information from those folks directly. Mm -hmm. So, Paul, remind me, 
How did we get here with the Park Hill Golf Course? Well, Bree, let me take you back to the bluffs of Scotland in the 15th century when Highlanders (laughs) invented a game with it. No, never mind. Um, I think, yeah, we can fast forward to like uh, 1932 is when the Park Hill Golf Course opened. At the time, it it was owned by an organization called the Clayton College Trust, managed by the city. And for a long time, it was operated as a golf course and people enjoyed it as such. Um, here's our first clip. This is from Penfield Tate III, who's a local community leader, Park Hill resident. He ran for mayor a few years ago and is currently running for city council and at-large seat. Here's a clip from your conversation with him from back in early 2021. Park Hill Golf Course Clubhouse has often been a convening spot for politicos or other activists or other folks in Northeast Denver. Many a campaign was launched there and planned there and plotted there. Um, Many a campaign was plotted and killed there. (laughs) But it also had another role. Um, I am a a longtime member of the Owl Club of Denver, and it is a a, a social club of African-American men. Uh, But in addition to that, what distinguishes the club is we're celebrating our 70th debutante ball, uh, where we introduce um, young women into society annually. Uh, in the early days of our, of our ball, the club had a difficult time getting downtown hotels to host the, the debutante presentation. So the, the Park Hill Golf Course Clubhouse um, has been the home of the debutante uh, cotillion a number of times over the years. So it, it has had um, a broader role than just being a golf course um, in, in the black community. I really appreciated this quote from Penfield because it gave that historic and cultural context for why this place is so important to the black community in Denver. And I just, I've talked about this before. I feel like history and and growth are at odds with each other. And my goal as a human in this city is to figure out how to balance those things. But I'm just so glad that we, he shared that component so folks can get a a better idea. Like this isn't just a golf course. Yeah. Yeah. Things happened here. Things do happen here for the community. So he, he gave us some history. When did things start to change with, with the golf course? So the next important point in the story is the late 90s. Um, and this is when there started to be some talk about change with the course. Like maybe some people wanted it to not be a golf course anymore. Um, and something very interesting happened. The city of Denver paid Clayton $2 million for something called a conservation easement which barred any development of the site in perpetuity and required the site to remain a golf course for the entire time that the easement was in place. So now the city of Denver has a stake in this land for the first time, which, uh, which was very interesting. Now, fast forward another 20 years, the golf course is in disrepair. It's no longer profitable. Clayton and its contractors are really struggling to make money and they start talking about a possible sale. It takes about two years, but then in 2019, Clayton manages to arrange a deal. And this is a really, really interesting deal. The buyer they found is an organization called Westside Investment Partners, who listeners might be familiar with. They, they are the developers behind the Loretto Heights campus right now. They've done a lot of other projects around the city. And they buy the Park Hill Golf Course site for $24 million. And that's 155 acres of city 
primo in, real in estate. city land. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think that's important to note. A lot more than you'd pay for a failing golf course, but a lot less than you'd pay for 155 acres of development potential. I think it's fair to say. Yes. So I don't know. I mean, did they have a deal with the city about like lifting the easement at that time? Were they just really confident that they'd be able to? I don't know. I don't know. That's one of the open questions here for me. And, and you know what? I just want, I have to acknowledge the conspiracy theorist in in myself and, yeah. and many folks. Well, I think in, in the city, there've been some funky deals that have happened in the last, uh, through this last administration where folks are like, hmm, I don't know. It feels like the mayor's office is maybe a little too tight with some of these developers. So I just I just want to put that out there to say this is the feeling that some folks have about this deal, because like you're saying, we don't know what the conversation was with the developers and the city about lifting the conservation easement. But that conservation easement, as Councilwoman Sedevaca will explain later on in this episode, is basically the development rights. What can happen with it? Yes. Anyway, at the time, Westside was saying all the right things. Um, Here's a quote from a press release they put out about the sale. They said, uh, this is, quote, a unique opportunity to create a positive transformation in the area. And at the time, they pledged to go on a community listening tour. So that was 2019. Fast forward to 2021. Um, Here's our next clip. It's from Kenneth Ho, who's a principal developer with Westside, talking on our show about what came of that community listening tour. Um, This community... Uh, clearly has a need for affordable housing, for access to fresh, healthy foods, job opportunities, and economic investment in general. And the thing is that we can create that win-win with how large this piece of property is. And so we, we've already committed to at least 60 acres of parkland. And rather than talking about acreage, we actually want to talk about the uses that folks want. We've heard things like they need a grocery store. They want Black-owned businesses. They want a diverse housing mix, right? The details of that, though, is what's going to come out over the next months and years in the planning process. So you can tell just listening to Kenneth that he is he's speaking from a defensive position because at the same time that they were doing this community listening tour, this issue became really controversial in the neighborhood. Penfield Tate, who we already heard from, he helped form a group called Save Open Spaces Denver. And they started a campaign to essentially stop this development process from happening. And one thing they did was they they put a measure on the ballot, which led to the whole grass versus concrete debate in 2021. Bree, do you remember what that was all about? Well, first of all, and I I know, and we'll share the link to this full conversation because I, I do think Kenneth Ho makes some compelling arguments here. My frustration, and I asked him about it, was he said the community wanted a grocery store. And I I know, and Kenneth knows, you cannot make that uh, promise as a developer. Unless you are a grocery operator, you cannot make that promise. And I just felt that it was a little disingenuous um, to sort of lead with that. But yeah, I, I think, that, sorry, but to get back to this, the campaign for this ballot initiative, I found it still very confusing. And we had been covering this. And I think that was my frustration from the beginning was, I don't know how to help voters figure this out because I myself can't understand it. So I don't know. And I also think grass versus concrete is oversimplifying a very complex conversation about how a community will end up looking. Oh, true, truly, truly confusing and intentionally so, I think. There was the initial ballot measure, which Save Open Spaces circulated, that it, it, didn't, it wasn't even about like, yes or no, should we develop the land? It was about should the conservation easement 
go to a citywide vote? Should the whole city vote on lifting it or not? And then what Westside did was they had their own ballot measure that had almost identical language, but if it passed, it would have annulled the Save Open Spaces ballot. It was it was so confusing. I don't know if those vote totals really reflected how people feel about this piece of land and like what you're saying, the future of how it should look. But in the end, the Save Open Spaces measure passed and the West Side measure failed. So now the whole city was going to have to have another vote on whether or not to lift it to allow development. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And so those two campaigns back in 2021 set us up for this current fight, right? Yeah. Like, Where does everything stand now? So where we're at now is Kenneth Ho and Westside, in addition to having to convince the city to lift the uh, conservation easement, they now have to convince the voters, the whole, the population, all of Denver voters. So now they need both. So uh, in around September, uh, October of last year, they came back with a whole new plan that they thought was going to be more persuasive. Um, And around this time, I actually caught up with Kenneth and got a couple more clips of him explaining some new changes. Honestly, as you know, Paul, the discussion around this site started more than five years ago. So there's there's been quite a bit of, of process. And I've personally had hundreds and probably at this point, thousands of conversations uh, with individuals and groups about how best to utilize this site. And we're excited to synthesize all of that into our current vision. And, and I have to say this, this vision is pretty impressive. Like there's a lot of detail in here. They've really thought out what this is going to look like, how it's going to feel in the neighborhood. And I think they listened to voters and made some real concessions to the other side. So specifically um, what this new plan includes is a hundred acres of parkland. That's up from the 60 that they had previously committed to. They're talking about transit oriented development. There are transit lines nearby the site that they're going to orient the development around. Um, We're talking about a mix of affordable and market rate housing. It's a walkable design. There's this main thoroughfare down a central retail strip that looked pretty cool to me. And the way Kenneth described it was like the built environment would spill into this parkland, this park that they're talking about. So it's, it's, it's like a car free area, but it's commercial. It's just very interesting. And then a couple of like cherries on top to make it just a little bit more fun is they're, they're working with the butterfly pavilion on pollinator gardens. And then there's this other part that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but I think is super cool. They're working with a, a project called the 303 Artway Heritage Trail. Which is a, actually a community initiative that was started before any discussions of the of what the Park Hill Golf Course could become. And so they envisioned a bike and walking trail. And originally the 303 Artway was being designed around 
the Park Hill Golf Course. And I don't know if you've ever walked or biked along Colorado Boulevard, but that is the opposite of a safe, uh, friendly environment. And so 303 Arway Heritage Trail is now one of our community partners um, to bring the trail through the site. And they're really excited about it because their number one priority was safety. And I have to say, like whenever, whenever Kenneth talks about this, the number one point that he makes about the whole development is housing prices are too high. Everybody knows this about Denver and increasing density by developing this site, not entirely leaving a lot of parkland, but by developing this site means more housing, means more supply, means lower prices for everybody. And it should affect more than just the neighborhood. That's that's his broader argument. And it's an idea we've heard from Governor Polis in his state of the state last week. This is this is an idea that I think is gaining popularity. I mean, it's an argument I've heard in this city for 10 years that I've also continued to watch things be built and that the problem still persists. So I'm skeptical. I, I appreciate Kenneth's uh, talking about the walkability because he, he's describing something that's so accurate. If you drive down or God forbid you walk down that part of Colorado Boulevard, it's an extended highway ramp. It's like a half a mile that feels like you're just waiting to get to the highway. It's not pedestrian friendly. It's not safe for pedestrians. And Nightmare. it's, you know, it's one of those you're dealing with one of those streets right there, Colorado Boulevard. I think our friend Nate Miner did an informal poll and found out it's the street everyone hates the most. But for the most part, because it's unsafe. And so. Mm hmm. I love this vision. I really do. I just, I'm skeptical. I, I think what I've learned from the other side of this conversation has made me really skeptical. If this is true, if this can really happen, I think it's something that we really need. But I will remain skeptical until things are built and the, the units are on the market and they are really what he says they are, if it happens. Um, this was also around the time that um, we had Councilwoman Candy Sedabaka on the show to talk about Daddy Bruce's Thanksgiving and that annual tradition. And we thought, hey, why not ask her where she's at with the whole Park Hill Golf Course situation? She was about to vote on it in a couple of weeks, and uh, her District 9 is right next door. She's definitely invested in this. Um, she's been an opponent for a long time of development. And here's what she says about this latest plan. Right now, there is not a an outcome that involves housing that would be good for us. This is a privately owned parcel. This is not a city owned parcel that we can do whatever with. If we lift the conservation easement, the developer could sell this property and all of this process could have been for nothing. The conservation easement is the only thing that is helping people in these neighborhoods hang on because what, what the conservation easement is, is development rights. And not being able to develop 155 acres of land, it keeps the cost of um, living stable, more stable, not completely stable, but more stable in that area. Because when you lift that conservation easement, the value of that land overnight exponentially increases with the surrounding values also exponentially increasing. Market value on that land, that land is worth billions of dollars at market value. Because it has the conservation easement, it was sold for pennies. I tell you, Paul, 
this conversation with Councilwoman Say the Baca came last November after we had covered the golf course extensively, passed the vote, everything. And this was the first time I fully understood the complex nature of a conservation easement in relationship to how it changes the value of land. And I think, I feel like Councilwoman Say the Baca has been painted in a negative light as an anti-housing person. And I, I don't get that from what she's saying. I think she has rightful concern that this this land is not owned by the city. So we we as voters don't have much of a say over what actually happens with it. These guys are developers. They they at the end of the day, they're in a business. They want to make they, they bought something and they want to make money off of it. That doesn't make you a bad person. I mean we live in a, a capitalism is where we live. They're not doing anything that's like outrageous. But what I think I took from this from Say the Baca is no one can promise us anything. And if that land is really worth that much, billions of dollars, and these guys got such a sweet deal on it, I would also be concerned that maybe if something happens or they decide they don't want to fight with 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 the community anymore over what to do with it, they say, okay, forget it. We're just going to sell it. And that's what I would worry about too. But before we get there, where are we now? Like, what is the next? Because there is there is something happening this week. Yeah, well, what's happening tonight, actually, is the culmination of a process that began back in December. So that's that's when city council started talking about this, taking some preliminary votes on this. And I think Kenneth Ho and Westside are aware that there is a trust issue here. So before this whole thing went before council, they actually negotiated something that they call a binding deal with the city, committing them to build 550 units of permanently affordable housing and 100 acres of parks and open space. And after that, the West Side plan just started sailing through vote after vote at council. Of the 13 members, only Paul Cashman, Amanda Sawyer, and Sadabaka, of course, opposed the plan. And if you're interested in learning more about the plan and what exactly they say they're going to do, you can go to this new website they've set up. It's called yesforparksandhomes.com. Um, read all about the agreement and 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 see what they're what they're talking about for yourself. But if a majority of council votes for this thing tonight, and I honestly I predict that they will, it's going to go to the people on April fourth. So alongside our mayoral election, we're also all going to be voting on the future of the Park Hill Golf Course of all things. And for some people, that's going to be a vote about density and development and gentrification and change. And for other people. It's a vote on what to do with 155 acres of land in the middle of their neighborhood. And I think like no matter what, this vote is going to say a lot about where Denver is on big issues like this. Um, But as always, we'll be following up after council makes their vote and talking about what happened. here's what else Denverites were talking about. The Colorado Coalition for the Homeless has a new CEO. Denverite reports that Britta Fisher has left the city's Department of Housing Stability, also known as HOST, to take the lead of one of the state's largest housing and homeless-serving nonprofits. Though homelessness increased during Fisher's time at HOST, the governmental agency also helped secure millions in funding for affordable housing initiatives. And finally, a moment of joy. Adidas helped save a local climbing gym from closing for good. Yes, 
that international shoe brand heard Globeville's Beast Fingers Climbing Gym might have to shut its doors after a rough pandemic and owner Amon Anderson's recovery from a car accident. Westward reports that with back rent taken care of, Beast Fingers can continue offering after-school activities for youth in the community and focus on raising more money. If you're interested in donating to the climbing gym or becoming a member, we'll put a link in the show notes. Do you have a moment of joy you want to share? Maybe you saw a neighbor shoveling someone's walk or you're just really excited that the Nuggets keep winning. Whatever brings you joy in Denver, share it with us by calling the CityCast Denver Moment of Joy hotline at 720-500-5418. Leave us a voicemail with your name, neighborhood, and good vibe story, and you might hear it on the show. That number again is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Adidas about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. One time when I was, I think I was on cold meds, I had a dream that I was like a scientist overseeing a factory farm. It was horrendous, actually. But I I just remember waking up and being like, why am I so much smarter when I'm asleep? (laughs) Like, I would never the the details in it were like, this is weirdly detailed for me not knowing anything about whatever actually happens here.